welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. I have to pause before I read the other verses. Ruth was making a proclamation from the desire of her heart. And we, we understand that that's the, that's the obvious understanding of the scripture. But if you know the whole story of Ruth, she was actually prophesying into her future. She was speaking about something that was going to happen in her future, and she didn't even realize the full extent of what she was saying when she made this covenant promise to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. <coughs> and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap, or her fortune, was to light on the land, on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And one more verse in Ruth chapter 4, 13. So Boaz took Ruth. And she was his wife, and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. What an incredible story. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in respect to the word of God. Ruth was not of the children of Israel. If you know the story, Naomi and her husband and her two sons, had famine in the land of Israel, and they left Israel to go to the land of the Moabites, Moab. And while they were living there for 10 years, Naomi's husband passed away, and both of her sons passed away. Now, before her sons passed away, they had gotten married to women of the Moabites. And so a season of time had passed, 10 years had passed, and Naomi was ready to return back to her homeland. The famine has passed. She was ready to go back home. And she's packing her things up and she's beginning to leave. And as she's leaving the land of Moab, her two daughter-in-laws are traveling with her. Three widows in a caravan headed towards Israel. And they get to the border and Naomi stops and she begins to plead with them. <coughs> she's pleading with them out of compassion because she understands what it means to leave your home country and to go to a foreign land and to live with loss. Matter of fact, when Naomi gets back to Israel, she tells her friends to call her Mara, which means bitterness. She understood the hurt and the pain of living in a foreign land with loss. And so she looked at her two daughter-in-laws and she pled with them, you can stay, you can go back to your home, you can find men of your own nation and you can marry again and, and you can continue your life here. You have no obligation to me to follow after me. And one of her daughter-in-law said, you know what? Thank you, Naomi. That's a great idea. I'm going to do that. But we read the, 
the return response from Ruth, who said, no, 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 Naomi. Your people will become my people. Your nation will become my nation. Your God will become my God. Wherever you go, I'm going to stick to you like glue. I'm going to stay right beside you, Naomi, wherever you go. And so the caravan of three widows turned into a caravan of two widows, and they end back, and they end up back in the land of Israel with no income, with no support system. And Ruth says, hey, Naomi, there's this field, and this guy that owns it, he's a distant relative. If I understand your culture correctly, I have the right to go and, and glean out of that field and bring us back some food. Ruth's intention was to leave to go gather corn, but if you read the rest of the story, you find out that she actually was gathering barley. And the rule was among the Israelites that when a stranger or a foreigner or someone who was of a status of poor or not so well to do needed food, you would leave the corners or you would leave the, the boundary row or, or if you spilt some of your harvest that you were gathering, you would leave that on the ground so that the poor and the stranger of your land would then be able to come behind you and gather that in. It was the abundance, it was the, the excess, it was the overflow of what was provided in the field. And Ruth began to glean from the corners. Ruth began to reach into the thistles and she began to reach into the weeds and she began to work among the ground that wasn't prepared for harvest. It was just the overflow. It's where seed had fallen into the corners that were uncultivated. And she was struggling and working and gathering and bringing in all that she had. And she did this because she was a foreigner. She was a stranger. And she had no right of ownership to the property. Matter of fact, Ruth was simply gleaning the generosity of others. Her blessing was dependent upon somebody else's blessing overflowing. And so she worked simply gathering what had spilled over from the workers in the harvest field. If I could preach to us a little bit today, I would like to tell you there are some of us who come to church and we feel like Ruth when we get to church on Sunday morning. We feel like we really have no ownership in the church or we feel like we're a stranger to the church. At times you may feel like you're out of place at church. I hope it's not all the time. But there's sometimes that the world beats us up and tries to change our identity. And when we walk into the house of God, we've got so much carnality on us or so much worldliness has tainted us that, that we don't really feel like we, we fit right in immediately. And what we need is the overflow of somebody else's blessing to sweep down our aisle. Man, I'm thankful when I come to church, there's at least somebody who's reached out to touch heaven. There's somebody who's been gleaning in their field and has a harvest in their life. They're full of His Spirit. They're overflowing with His Spirit. And they bring the presence of God into the house. There's been Sundays I've gone to church and I'm sure glad my neighbor was prayed up. I'm sure glad my neighbor was full of the Holy Ghost. 
And I'm sure glad that when they got in the presence of God, they began to let it freely flow through them and overflow. And I, feeling like a stranger, was able to reach into that overflowing harvest, the abundance, the excess that they had, and find my strength. And so here would be a great place to pause and encourage you if you're full of the Spirit, show up on Sunday full of the Spirit. When you come into the house of God, let the Holy Ghost fill you and overflow out of you. There's somebody in the house that needs the blessing of your overflow. There's somebody in the house that needs you to let a little bit fall out of your basket on the ground so that they can pick it up. There's somebody in the house who needs to walk through the corners of the field that you've been working so that they can pull in the blessing that you have left over. Your excess becomes their necessity. So let the power of God flow through you. Let the Spirit of God flow through you. Let it abundantly fill you full and overflowing. It underlines the importance of when we come together that we build a habitation for God to dwell in. Your blessing is bigger than you. Your blessing's big enough for you and somebody else and maybe even somebody else and maybe even somebody else. I remember... And I don't want to just remember, I want to see it again. <coughs> I remember church services where somebody would get a blessing. And they have an overflowing blessing in their life. And they'd walk up to somebody who maybe needed a blessing. And they'd just wrap their arm around them or they'd just grab their hand. And their blessing would just transfer from one person to the other person. One person would be filled with the Spirit and somebody who's had a hard week and been grinding at the wheel and, and struggling that week and, and someone just come and put their arm around them and begin to pray with them and it's just like the blessing transfers from one person to the other it's just like the bucket overflows and a splash gets on them and before long you got two people with a blessing and those two people end up overflowing and it begins to fill their whole aisle that they're sitting on and that whole row ends up with a blessing and then it sweeps over the whole section and before long five or ten minutes later in service God's just moving and doing stuff that only God can do Oh, I hunger for the day at Live Spring Church where you show up and you just have so much it's just splashing all out of your bucket. And you, as you walk down the aisle trying to find your seat, you're leaving puddles of blessing all over the place. Your abundance is overflowing. Your excess is everywhere. And people are just being blessed by your blessing. Yes. Amen. Amen. Amen? If you look at the story of Ruth... You see that the excess was Ruth's harvest. She harvested the abundance of others. But this wasn't the full intent or the full plan for Ruth's life. God had a bigger picture in plan. God had a bigger picture laid out for her. <coughs> it was through Ruth's obedience that a change began to take place in her life. If you read the story of Ruth, and, and I'll not get into all the details of the story today, it's, it's a short book, and maybe you could read it this week. It's a beautiful story. But Ruth realized that there was an opportunity with Boaz, her being 
a stranger and a foreigner and not having a husband and, and there being some debt involved and, and she needing to be redeemed, she understood that Boaz, being a kinsman, a distant relative, had the opportunity to redeem her. Now, she didn't understand all the aspects of it. She began to have this conversation with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and her mother-in-law began to give her some instruction on how to follow this plan. The plan was, Ruth, I want you to go and sneak into his house or out behind his house. At this point, Ruth's probably like, all right, is this a good plan or not? <laughs> and after he's finished working, threshing in the threshing floor, and he's sat down and he's eaten and he's drunken, not as in intoxicated, but he's had his drink for the evening, his dinner, and he's began to lie down and go to sleep. After he falls asleep, Ruth, the custom is that you would go and you would uncover his feet and you would lay down at his feet. Now that's odd. This little Moabitess girl was probably looking at this Jewish mother-in-law saying, you all got some weird customs. So she did this. You realize the symbolism. Boaz to us is a representation of Christ. And we are as Ruth. And when we come to Christ, there is a prescription plan that we must follow when we approach the owner of the field. If we're looking to be in relationship with Him and we're looking to grow in relationship with Him, we must submit ourselves and humble ourselves to Him. And that's the symbolism we find in Ruth laying down at His feet. She just simply presented herself in a humble posture to the owner of the field and waited. And it wasn't very long before Boaz woke up. And I think if someone was to pull the covers off my feet and lay down at the end of my bed, it wouldn't take me very long to wake up either. And he was probably startled. Whoa, what are you doing there? Why are you here? And then it all began to click and they began to have a conversation and he began to, to speak blessing and promise into her life. And that's what happens when you begin to humble yourself to the king, the owner of the field, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you'll humble yourself at his feet, when he awakes or he sees or he takes notice of you, and he sees you even now, he'll begin to speak promise into your life. He'll begin to speak prophetically into your life. He'll begin to provide for you. The provision made for Ruth she didn't realize all the provision that was made. Boaz went to his harvesters and he said, Hey, when you're harvesting, spill a little bit on purpose. Leave a little bit extra. Let Ruth go ahead and, and pick up that which you're, you're spilling on extra. And, and you know what? If she gets off the, the path, the beaten path for the, the stranger and the sojourner, and, and she begins to harvest over in the good stuff, just, just don't mind it. Just, just act like you don't see it. Just... Just let it happen. And he told 
Ruth. He said, if you get thirsty, you just go right over there to the water where all the harvesters drinking. And you make yourself at home and you pour yourself a glass of water and you just drink from the same water that the harvesters are drinking from. And it wasn't very long before the promise grew uh, and she was taken by Boaz. He said, you know what? If you get hungry, how about you come in here at lunchtime and you sit with all the other harvesters at the table and you can feed with a meal that's been prepared for all of those who are working. She went from being one gleaning from the excess to being accepted into the group of the harvesters. Her life was changing. Things were transforming in her life. And I'm here to tell you today, if we'll be obedient to the prescribed plan that God has for us, your life will change. And the plan God has for us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When we come to an altar and we repent of our sins, that's symbolic of Ruth laying down at the feet of Boaz. It's humbling ourselves before God. We present ourselves to God and we say, Lord, I humble myself. I ask for your forgiveness. I receive your grace. I want your mercy to be in my life. And we make a commitment to God. We're going to walk in a different direction. If we're not repentant, we can't grow any further in God than that step. Repentance, the Bible calls it the first fruit of our salvation. Repentance, it's required. It's a requirement that we submit and surrender to God. That's why it's typology, it's death. It's where we look at ourselves and say, hey, Todd, no longer are you going to do your will, but now you're going to begin to follow the will of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You're beginning to do the things that He calls you to do. You're beginning to say the things that He calls you to say. You're going to not do the things that He doesn't want you to do. You're going to line up your life with the Word of God and what He's called you to do and how He's called you to live. It's repentance and submission to God. Then, just as Jesus Christ was buried in the tomb, we get buried in the water. We get buried in the water of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. If you study the scripture, you'll find that when people were baptized, they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no scripture where the act of baptism was occurring and the person was baptized any other way than in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, it's not just in Scripture. If you go back and study the history of the early church, there was nobody baptized any way other than in the name of Jesus Christ. You can study it all the way up until the so-called church fathers began to have their councils and began to reason among themselves on what Scripture meant. And then they came up with the idea that we needed a different form of baptism. It was in those council meetings that man-made religion come to be Paul not Paul Jesus warned in the book of Mark he warned of the day when the doctrines of men would be followed as though they were truth the doctrines of men as though they, they were true I challenge us today we don't follow the doctrine of men we follow the doctrine of Jesus Christ 
He said, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. We must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. When they went to Cornelius' house, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark tells us in the Great Commission that we must repent and be baptized in His name. It's in the power of His name that we have the remission of our sins. I'm talking about the prescribed plan that helps us move into this change that God's calling us to. And then there is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus Christ gloriously, powerfully arose from the tomb after three days. He was victorious over death and hell. He was powerful. He reigns now as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the same resurrection power that was in Jesus Christ can be in us. It's called the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's the infilling of His Spirit that comes to live inside of us. Scripture says it will lead us and guide us into all truth. It will be a form of communication between us and God. It will be our link towards heaven. It's that renewed relationship between us and God. How beautiful it would have been in the early days of the Garden of Eden. Perfect communion between humanity and divinity. Nothing separating them. Adam and Eve in their perfection because God creates perfect stuff. Had uninhibited one-on-one -on -one time with God. Let that sink in. Because if you compare that to Moses, Moses asked to see the face of God. And God said, you can't see my face, you'll die. Because of sin. Because of flesh and carnality. The best that Moses could see was watch God after he passed. But before sin, Adam and Eve sat down face to face and communicated with God. And because of sin, that communication was broken. That relationship was severed. The longing, the spiritual need inside of them was broken off. And how is that spiritual void inside of us filled? Well, there's lots of things in our world today that try to fill the spiritual void in our lives. There's secularism. There's New Ageism. There's all types of religion. There's all types of self-help that tries to fill the spiritual need inside of us. But the things of this world cannot fill the spiritual need inside of us. The only thing that can fulfill the spiritual need inside of us is the Spirit of God. The only thing that will ever satisfy your soul is an outpouring of His Spirit, an infilling of His Spirit. Hey, there's people that's tried everything. They've become addicted to drugs. They've become addicted to promiscuous lifestyles. They've followed after all the, the wares and the selling of this world. They've filled themselves with all types of things, but they've never come to a place of satisfaction. They're always hungry for more, always longing for more, never satisfied. Wealth didn't do it. 
Fame didn't do it. Popularity didn't do it. Success from a worldly standpoint didn't do it. But there's something about when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you no longer hunger after the things of this world because it's not the world that you're hungry for. It's the things of the Spirit that you're hungry for. God has a plan for us. And when we are obedient to His prescribed plan, His blessings flow into our life. His provision flows into our life. And He begins to prophetically speak over our lives. How appropriate today that we sung the songs about the blood of Jesus Christ. Because there came a process for the redeeming of Ruth to pay the price for Ruth to be free and set free. For she would no longer be viewed as a stranger, but she would be brought into the family of Israel. And Boaz, he said, I'll pay whatever the price to redeem Ruth. And Jesus Christ said, I'll pay whatever the price to redeem mankind. I'll die on a cross. I'll wear a crown of thorns. I'll have stakes driven into my hands and to my feet. I'll allow my back to be whipped with a cat of nine tails. I'll allow soldiers to spit on me and to pull my beard out and to punch me and to slap me. I'll be falsely accused by the mob mentality that gathered around the palace that day. I'll take the place of Barabbas. I'll give up myself in a garden. I'll pray as though it were great drops of blood and anguish knowing what's coming before me. I will give my everything so that mankind can be redeemed. And he did it for you that you could have hope and promise that you could be redeemed. In my eyes, I can see it's a beautiful morning. The dew is across the freshly harvested field. It's been a couple days since Boaz's servants have harvested the field. And Ruth who's no longer an outcast or a stranger, but now she's been redeemed, and now she's been married to Boaz. And now she's not sleeping at his feet in the threshing floor, but now she's sleeping in his house, in his bed. She's become the bride. We've become the bride of Christ when we enter into the kingdom of God. She's standing there looking out across the dew-covered field one morning. The sun's beginning to rise. The morning fog is starting to burn off. And as she stands there looking across the field, she sees a shadow quickly dart across the field. She looks closer. She begins to notice this shadow is running from corner to corner, running along the fence, stopping randomly. Then occurs to her, that is a stranger. That is a sojourner. That is a poor among us. 
who was gleaning in the corners, a gathering of the excess in the field. It was in that moment that Ruth realized Ruth's harvest was no longer what she gathered, but it was what she was providing for others. Ruth's harvest, the change in her life was she went from being the one of need to being the one of excess. She went from being the one who had scarcity to now having abundance. I want to tell you today, there's someone you no longer have to live just in the overflow of somebody else's blessing. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost today. You can be filled with His Spirit today. You can become a part of the bride of Christ today. Your day of harvest will change from your harvest of need to you having a harvest of excess for others. What is Ruth's harvest? It began as her need, but it ended up being her abundance. It's God's will for every one of us to be filled and overflowing with His Spirit. Can I be very honest and straightforward with us today? This is what makes Life Spring Church different. You can go to a church on nearly every corner in this city. I have not done the research personally, but we had a lady stop by the church a few months ago selling Christian pamphlets that advertise businesses owned by Christians. And her and her husband moved here from Tulsa because they wanted to sell in this market. And the reason they came to this market was they had done the research and she said Springfield is the most churched per capita community in America. And if you want to sell stuff to Christians, Springfield would be a good place to go. So what I'm telling you is, if you're looking just for a place to go to church, there's one on nearly every street corner. So a few years ago, we had some, some guests. They were actually from Canada and had been in Branson, and they were on their way traveling back home. I, don't, I didn't get the full story of their travels, but they were Pentecostals just like us, and they decided to stop in on Sunday when they were traveling. And he made the statement, he goes, we were driving across town to get to your church. There's more banks and churches in this town than anywhere I've ever been. There's a church on every corner. But not every church has the same thing that this church has. I'm not trying to be exclusive. I'm not trying to be proud today. But I just want to be honest with you. Not every church has a moving of the Spirit like we have. Not every church has an abundant overflow like we have. That's the difference. You can go to a concert. You can go hear a good presentation. You can be entertained by worship. But there's something different when you come into the presence of God. There's something different when you come into a house and the Spirit of God settles People who are sojourners and they're poor in spirit can feel the presence of God and they can glean of the harvest of our abundance. When the addict comes in, they're not really going to be interested in a concert or a program. They're looking for change. When the addict steps their foot into this place, they don't need to hear a great oratory. We'll do our best. We'll put our best foot forward. We'll present with goodness and excellence. But what they need is a moving of the Spirit. What they need 
need is an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. They need you full of the Holy Ghost. They need me full of His Spirit. That's what makes us different. And that's the part that matters. Because without His presence, it doesn't matter how great the rest of the service is. If lives aren't changed, then we're just going through a presentation. We're just giving out a sermon. But our lives are transformed by the working of the Holy Ghost. By the moving of His Spirit. If you had a hard week, there's nothing that takes care of a hard week like just the washing over of His Spirit. There's nothing more reviving than an outpouring of His Spirit. If you've been in chaos and confusion and dysfunction all week, there's nothing more beautiful than stepping into the presence of God and just letting His Spirit sweep over you. And I understand all of us are different places in our maturity level and in our relationship with God. None of us are staying where we are, amen? We're all growing, amen? Some of us are still at the place where we come in and we need the abundance of somebody else. And some of us are at the place where we've been living on the abundance, but what we really need is to become the abundance. Well, there wasn't as many amens on that one. Some of us have been living on the excess of other people's blessings, but it's time that we mature to the point where we are providing the excess for the next person to grow into. It's time that we see the transformation of Ruth's harvest from us gleaning in the corners to us providing corners for others to glean into. You see, without the moving of the Holy Spirit, without this power-packed moving of God's presence, we could be called a Christian social club, or we could just become a religious society. But we don't want to be that. That's not our goal. That's not our vision. That's not our dream. We want to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What does that tell you? That tells me he has a victorious church. He has a church that breaks addiction. He has a church that breaks through carnality. He has a church that breaks through every barrier and stone wall that comes up against it. There is no gate that can stop the church. Let me give you the obvious. Gates don't move. Well, I mean, they open and close. But they're stationary as in their placement. Anybody ever been chased by a gate? It must have been a crazy dream. Nobody's been chased by a gate. Anybody ever been to a gate you couldn't get through? Anybody ever showed up at a gate that was locked and you didn't know the combination or have the key? Welcome to the church. We're gate busters. When the enemy throws up a gate, says you can't reach that family member. I put a gate around them. The Bible says the church of Jesus Christ will prevail. No gate can stop us. We'll bust right through the gate and we'll save their soul from a devil's hell. How? 
do we do it? It's by the power and the infilling of His Spirit. When you begin to walk through your community and you're praying and you feel opposition in the spirit world, there's no gate that can stop your prayer and the power of your prayer. You'll just dig a little bit deeper and you'll pray just a little bit more fervently. And what happens? The gate has to surrender to your presence because you're a part of the church, because you're living in the overflow. Oh, what would happen if on Tuesday you were overflowed with His Spirit? What would happen if on Thursday morning you had your devotion time and your prayer time and you look out across the field and you see an abundance of overflow that's poured out of your house? I'm preaching to us today. It's beautiful to feel the presence of God. It's beautiful to come into His house and know that somebody's left something for me to gather in. But have you ever experienced what it's like to stand in the house and see others gathering from your abundance? Oh, it's a different feeling. It's a different anointing. It's a different experience to know, oh, I prayed the prayer and my prayer is their answer. It's a different experience to know I'm full of the Spirit. And when I came in today, I was moved to pray and intercede on that person's behalf in service. And you see them break through and they have their victory. Oh, it's a different experience when you're praying with somebody around the altar. Or maybe you slide your hand on their shoulder in the pew where they're sitting. And you're beginning to pray for them. And you see victory fall on their life. And you see brokenness begin to be healed. And you see the pride of, of hurt and, and anguish begin to crumble in their life and you see God begin to work it's a different experience because now we're not all just gleaning out of the corners but now we're providing we're providing Ruth's harvest to them thank you for listening to the Life Spring Church podcast join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.